I grew up in eastern Kenya in a place called uh, Ketui County. It's a very remote place. That's where I grew up. And my father was a teacher. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And what happened when I was very young, my father would record me on the radio as I say anything. This is a very old radio that had just batteries. And I remember I would press two buttons to record myself. And I would record myself speaking Swahili or speaking English and actually imitating news anchors. And from that time, I noticed that I had so much interest in telling stories, but I had no clue what that is called. I didn't know it was called journalism. I didn't know it was called media. Hello, my name is Lillian Kaivilu. I am a journalist from Kenya and the founder of Impact Hub Media. Yes, we can, sure we can change the world. Welcome to the Yali Voices podcast, your home for sharing the best stories from the Young African Leaders Initiative Network. Be sure to subscribe to the Yali Voices podcast and visit yali.state.gov to stay up to date on all things Yali. Lillian Kaivilu is an award-winning multimedia journalist based in Nairobi, Kenya, and the founder of Impact Hub Media, a digital media platform that seeks to tell unique development stories of people or institutions that are making an impact in their communities. A 2019 Mandela Washington Fellow, Lillian has previously worked as a writing consultant with the World Bank Group, a reporter for the global press journal Kenya News Desk, and a features writer at People Daily Newspaper Kenya. She is currently the vice president for the Africa Media Network on Health. Lillian is a Bloomberg Media Initiative Fellow, Safaricom Business Journalism Fellow, Kenya Institute of Mass Communication Journalism graduate, and a linguistics, media, and communication graduate from Moy University. In addition, she has completed the digital capacity building training by the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers. Lillian credits her parents, and in particular her father, with not only allowing her to follow her dream of becoming a journalist, but introducing her to the critical skills she'd need to succeed. That is where we begin our conversation. My father was very engaging and very interested in our careers, mostly the girls. And for a long time, he believed that, and today he still does, he believed that if he empowers the girls and the boys in equal measure, life is going to be good. And I think it's a good thing he did. And he wanted to leave his girls as empowered and as independent as possible. I feel like that is what made him choose to educate the girls and very deliberately do so. I feel like my father and my mother, they took time to parenting. I mean, they knew they were parents and they took charge of a family. So what happened when I was growing up, because I grew up in rural Kenya, I had to do what every child in rural Kenya does. I had to go look after the cow, I mean the goats, I had to go to the farm. And I remember my father had set deadlines on me and my siblings, of course. You had to read one storybook every week and you had to be able to recite the stories in those storybooks. You had to recite the storybooks. And, but something I found strange as we went by, as years went by, he actually made us start looking for mistakes in those books. Are you able to identify spelling error? Are you able to do this? And at some point we began calling him, we nicknamed our father, and I hope he never gets to hear this. We called him transitive verbs. Because he was teaching us very deep English at home, in the rural Kenya, I mean, where we, we actually learned some subjects in our mother tongue, but he was so keen to teach us English. 
and Kiswahili. And I mean, he believed that with the power of language, you're able to communicate anywhere in the world. And I'm forever grateful for that. So we had to stay home with him and study verbs, adverbs, how do you express yourself? How do you tell a story? And then at, now at that point, we would then review the books we'd be reading over the week. So I was forced at a very early stage to learn how to read storybooks. They stuck in my head, word for word, stories I crammed in class one in the early 90s. After high school, Lillian feared that she would be expected to follow in her father's footsteps, something she calls a common habit in many Kenyan families, and become a teacher. But it was a career in journalism that called to her, and she was pleasantly surprised when her father asked her, what do you want to do? I was able to get to the best media school in the country. In Kenya, it is called the Kenya Institute of Mass Communication. It's a school where I went, and from the very first instance in that school, I was exposed to practical journalism training. I never had this kind of theory and all that. So I applied for a diploma in journalism, and I got it. So I got to school at the age of 18, and I got to college. And by the first week, I had my first article published in the national newspaper. I recall it was an article on cigarette smoking. It was a small article, uh, opinion piece on cigarette smoking. Every morning throughout my college life, I had access, and every student in my department had an access to all the five newspapers. And the idea of this was to expose us to news writing and how stories are told in the mainstream media because we're being prepared for the mainstream media. And that's why I said that I went to a very good college that was very practical in their teaching. So the first week, we had to begin exposing ourselves to the mainstream media and to have our bylines in the mainstream media. So one of the things was to begin by writing opinions. Since we didn't have any experience in writing, we had no command in writing anything, but we could give opinions. In 206, sorry, when I joined uh, college, there was so much debate about cigarette smoking. So it was a headline for that week, September of 206, when I joined college. So I was giving an opinion piece based on what we had read, because that was assignment from school. So I get to college in 206 for a diploma in journalism. And after two weeks, oh, sorry, after two semesters, I was supposed to go for internship, not the formal internship. And I said, I figured out that, that, that journalism was getting interesting and more interesting and more interesting. But something at that point, something stuck with me. I felt whenever I went to the field to cover court stories, I never enjoyed. I never enjoyed crime stories. I never enjoyed press conferences. I just felt like some people were just come to read some speeches and use big words before the cameras. But I noticed that I was developing so much interest in the stories of people, very small people may call them. I got so much interest in uh, people who are running community-based organizations. In the grassroots, people are doing small things in their own small way. I got so much interest in such people. Although I had interest in stories of ordinary people making an impact in their communities, I never had that chance. I was on internship, and there was a clear scope of coverage. You had to cover everything. Because at the Kenya News Agency, you're like a newswire, so you distribute news to all media houses in the country. So I had to cover everything, including sports. My internship gave me a chance, actually, to select what I want to do and to experience all, all beats in the newsroom. I was able to experience the court beat, the sports, business, education, everything, human rights. I was able to cover all that. And what that did for me is it prepared me for exactly how the world looks like. 
So I would come back to college after three months of internship, continued my education, graduated, and in 2009 during my graduation, the Minister for Information gave me an award as the most disciplined student in the college. So I left KMC, uh, the Kenyans of Mass Communication, and went to work in a publishing firm where I was doing stories on education. We had a magazine called Education News and a magazine called Education Watch. I was a reporter for that newspaper for some time before I went now to the mainstream media and I worked for People Daily in Kenya. It's a daily newspaper as a business reporter. I was one of the pioneer reporters for the development agenda, People Daily. And from there I went to, I worked in development stories in People Daily for all the way now until 2015 when I joined the Global Press, a US-based media house, but with coverage in more than 63 countries across the world. So I left Global Press to go to World Bank as a development writer uh, on short contract. So after that, here I am today. So I'll take you back to when I began Impact Hub Media. When I worked for People Daily, which was the first mainstream media house I worked for as a business reporter and a development reporter, our media house that time never had a website. So it was just a print newspaper. So you do your story today, and after the day is gone, and people have taken their newspapers home, perhaps to use them for other things, that is the end of your story. And I got very concerned on the way I would go to the field or to a press conference, maybe cover the launch of a very nice product. But when you come to the newsroom, because every newsroom has its own policies, you'll only get a space of about 300 words to tell a story that you spent a whole week doing in the field. And I got very worried. And I asked myself, with all my skills and what I know today, what happens to the rest of my stories? And by the time I'm five years into the profession, what's going to happen to these stories that keep dying every day? Because out of a one-week stories, maybe only one gets published. And published perhaps in the style of the media house, based on either their biases or the media ownership and all that. And I kept wondering what I could do with those stories. So I decided to begin a platform where I would publish those stories that never saw the light of day in the newsroom. And I never began as Impact Hub Media. I began as my name, just LillianKaivil.com. And I began publishing my stories there. And I observed something. People actually would call. And people started getting interested in my stories. And what that led to me was, that gave me so much confidence that actually people were not reading the stories because of the newspaper. They were reading my byline. They were reading Lillian's stories. And that gave me so much confidence in me. And I was like, so if they're coming to me because of my stories and because of me, why don't I have then that platform and expand it? And now, so I registered Impact Hub Media in 2016 as a media organization, as, as a business in Kenya. And we now got a website now from liliancaville.com to impacthubmedia.com because I was looking for a brand and the brand is Impact Hub Media. So Impact Hub Media is a digital media platform that tells stories of change makers, that tells stories of people who are doing something to solve the challenges facing Africa, America, Asia, and all other continents in the world. So currently I have five girls. I have five girls I work with. And I'll tell you why I work with five girls. I, I began in Patabili in 2016. And I got a co-founder. 
apparently who happened to be one of my former bosses and the lady who taught me development writing she was my editor i loved her skills in editorial management Rebecca Mutis my co-founder for Impact Hub Media and I brought her on board about one and a half years after I began Impact Hub Media and why I brought her on board is I wanted to transfer these skills of solutions journalism because what I'm doing now is called solution journalism I wanted someone who could pass the skills to other people I am not a very good teacher so what I did in 2018 early I began teaching young girls how to tell positive stories of their own communities And I recall we had a meeting with Rebecca my co-founder and the five girls that we got from Kibera slums. Kibera is an informal settlement in the biggest slum in Africa. And I called these girls to a meeting inside their slum. And I remember the first question I asked them was, "Tell me something about your neighborhood, about where you stay." And the five girls began giving their stories. And the first girl said, "In my neighborhood, there's no water. In my neighborhood, there's never electricity." and one thought about there's so much crime in her neighborhood there's so much trash in the neighborhood so i told them this is now your assignment you'll go back to your homes and look for something good in your neighborhood and please come with an answer next tuesday because we normally meet once every week on tuesdays or on mondays so the next week they came and i was so amazed because the girls came with more than five good stories from the neighborhood someone said In fact, in my neighborhood, there's a group of young people that are trying to do a car wash to earn a living. Another one said, "I noticed my mother has a group of other women that they make beads, beads and ornaments for sale." Another told me that they have another group of young people who are recycling paper to actually make beads. And so there was so much stories coming from there and told them that is now the vision of impact of media to identify people who are doing good in your neighborhood and telling those stories because if you don't tell the stories of your neighborhood no one will with the increase in the availability of platforms for citizens to share their stories it is important that the basic principles of journalism such as ethics fact checking news writing and being prepared are followed now more than ever These are skills that Lillian is teaching the girls who are a part of Impact Hub Media. So, the girls came and told me about their first stories. And with my co-founder, we noticed that actually it's a group that is very passionate about journalism. In June of 2018, we began our training with them. And the training or plan was to go with at least 7 or 6 months of training because we didn't want to send girls out and they'd go and bring us some photos or some stories that defy media ethics in Kenya and since you're working in Kenya so we took them through the very first training on media ethics that was the first thing we did even before into news writing and all that we took them through media ethics and in Kenya we have a very small booklet called uh, the code of conduct by the media council of Kenya we call it the media bible in Kenya that is the book we had to go through with them we appreciate that they're not trained journalists but since they have to get us stories as citizen journalists now we had to train them hey look you may go get these stories but there are rules in this game of media so we took them through media ethics how do you ask for a photo from a person first of all how do you start to record a person before you talk to them how do you ask for consent before you do anything how do you introduce yourself how do you dress when going to do some stories because you'll go to a muslim community And if you're wearing something that is very revealing, perhaps they're not talk to you. How do you identify with the source when you're going to talk to them? 
So we could call any journalist and we had very good links to the Media Council of Kenya. And thanks to them, because they've come in very handy. And they would recommend journalists that would come and share their real life experiences of how maybe something like bad dressing cost them an interview. Or how going to the field with a camera with no batteries cost them their interviews and cost them their jobs for that matter. So we began the basics of news writing, I mean the basics of media ethics. Then now went to news writing, how do you compose a story? How do you tell a story? But Cheryl, what shocked us the most, when the girls did their first story, my editor who now, who now does the first editing of the stories, she was like, these girls write like professional journalists. I've seen their raw stories, and I wonder where have they been? So our conclusion was, from that group of five, there's so many people in the world today, I feel, who can tell stories of what is happening in their neighborhoods. It's just that they have not been given a chance. Those girls were very good. And something else they complained about when we were doing our stories, they said, you know, I can't go to the field because I have no camera, I have no recorder, I have no nothing. And we asked them, you guys, you have nice smartphones. Do you know that what you're holding in your hands? A smartphone will get you a car photo. A smartphone will get you a recording. And in case you misplace your notebook or your pen, you can still type on your phone or your notepad on your phone. So what we're trying to do, first of all, is to get out of their minds that they are incapable, that they don't have it. You have everything you need to tell a story. Then they said, you see, I have to go to a cyber cafe and get to an email address and send my stories. I'm like, no, 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 no. Send your story on WhatsApp and we'll do the editing. Now, you may ask about how we confirm these stories that are true and how we do fact-checking. And one thing I thank the Global Press Journal in the U.S. I learned from my editor, Krista Kapralos in Maryland was, I learned how to fact-check stories. That was the greatest thing I got from the international media, how to fact-check stories and how to confirm some names. I'll give an example of the name Mohammed. It's a very popular name. Mohammed, Mahmoud. Those are names that you can easily get wrong. And what I learned from there and that I've transferred to the girls I work with today is always get the source to spell their names for you. If you can't do it, get their ID, their energy card, and take a photo of it, just to be sure about the name. And of course, we've learned how to fact check stories in so many other ways, how to fact check stories, how to confirm that this is not cooked up. And this is something you're teaching them now, although we feel it's a bit early, on how to identify someone who's lying to you about their story. Most people lie a lot when you'll be interviewing them. So we're teaching them also how to identify a fake story at the point of interview. I'll tell you one skill I've learned to identify a fake story because I've been caught more than twice when I'm doing my own stories. And one thing is to ask someone to tell their story in three different ways. You ask the story in this way, then you ask them again, then you ask them again. Something else is to read about the person before you get to them. So most likely, if the story doesn't rhyme, you will know that they are lying. We are feeling it's a bit early for them, but it's very good for them. Because one thing that has happened in citizen journalism is there's so much trouble in fact-checking those stories because anyone can just come and give you a story. And people are now hungry for publicity, so they will give you a story in any design. So fact-checking is a very big thing you're teaching them. Fact-checking, the basic news writing, and media ethics. My point as a journalist is everyone is a fraud until they prove themselves otherwise. My advice to people who are in the early network who are interested in citizen journalism is there is a whole space of opportunities in this field. 
There's so many untold stories. There's so many unheard voices. But as I do that, let's always fact check these stories. You can easily fall to traps or people who want free publicity. And let's always differentiate between public relations and ethical journalism. If you'd like to learn more about Lillian's work at Impact Hub Media, visit impacthubmedia.com. That's I-M-P-A-C-T-H-U-B-M-E-D-I-A dot com. Be sure to come back for more inspiring stories from young African leaders on the Yali Voices podcast. Join the Yali Network at yali.state.gov and be a part of something bigger. Our theme music is Ego Happen by Grace Cherry and produced by the Presidential Precinct. The Yali Voices podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Department of State and is part of the Young African Leaders Initiative Network, which is funded by the U.S. government. <laughs>